0: Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, and I am your guest, Josh Hartung.
1: And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. And this is episode number 65. Our guest this week is Josh Hartung of Polysync. Josh is the CEO and co founder of Polysync, a startup that is changing the way that companies develop self driving cars technology. Josh, is there anything that I missed in that description? Uh yeah, there are like plenty. <laughs> probably a whole lot. Yeah. No, I think I think uh, where did we grab that description from? Off LinkedIn. Yeah, off LinkedIn. Yeah. So so this is now becoming a trend where we find some like really thin description of our guest, and we 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 usually like end up n- excluding a whole lot about them.
0: So yeah, cool. What well, do think as a company that makes stuff? Did we yeah, miss anything? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did we miss a lot? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Uh, well, let's jump into
1: it. Uh, you want to tell us a bit about Polysync and what you do there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as it turns out, poly, uh, autonomous dri- driving cars is kind of a new industry, if you will. So, uh, all these te- all these technologies that have sort of come together to enable autonomous cars. You know, AI. You know, low cost compute. Uh, you, you know. Cars with actuators and things like that—they're all coming together, you know, at, at this incredibly rapid pace. And uh, and so, as you might imagine, there's a lot of really interesting opportunities there for uh, for improvement. And the one that we're focused on is creating safe and deployable autonomous vehicle systems. So the, the important thing there is is that you know, early on in the engineering process, you're doing things like prototyping, and, and you're basically using whatever you can to make something, you know, work and, 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 and you know, get a sense of, of, of what that will take. Right. So, so, you know, from a software sense, you're often using APIs and and libraries that you find available either, you know, kind of in the open source community, or, you know, you whip together something yourself that works okay. But, you know, obviously, we as engineers know, like, obviously, you're going to replace those things as you get closer and closer to something that you, you know, people need to depend on. And, you know, People need to depend on autonomous cars in a way that, like, we don't depend on many other things, (laughs) right? In in, in a lot of cases, there won't even be steering wheels in these things. And so we're focused on solving the problem of how do you make not the capabilities of those cars safe, not not how do we, like, make sure we navigate uh, uh, intersections well and don't hit hit pedestrians, but how do you know (laughs) that your underlying software is going to perform as you expect? How do you know that the computing platform can tolerate different failures. How do you know that, uh, that that the underlying infrastructure of your system is actually safe? So that's the problem that we're solving with PolySync. Interesting. So uh,
1: how, what does the name mean? What's the meaning behind the name PolySync?
0: Uh, interestingly, we, the name came from kind of the early prototypes of, of the system. At, at the time, I was the CTO of a, of a distributor company in this space, and, and you know, it was like four people at the time. And so what CTO meant was it was just me flying out to all these different customers, you know, mostly in auto, but also in like military, mining, <clears throat> agriculture, academia, and helping them with system integration, with understanding the sensors that they were purchasing and architecting their system. And, you know, even going so far as to help them like design brackets and things like that. So sort of whatever. And one of the big, one of the big gaps that that I started to see almost immediately was, was that bringing many different sensors together into a place where you could actually use that data to make decisions and do do the things that a robot needs to do uh, was actually a fairly tall barrier to entry. So, in an autonomous uh, driving car, you've got so many different sensors: cameras, lidar, GPS, radar, uh, ultrasonics. You know, you've got, and and even then, you've got down to like weight sensors in the in the in the seats and steering wheel sensors, capacitive touch sensors. And there's just a massive number of sensors, both high bandwidth and low bandwidth, in, in these systems. And typically, they're all operating asynchronously, meaning they're not really they're not really receiving a trigger signal or something like that where you can go, you know, I captured this sensor's data at a specific moment in time. Instead, they're just sort of, they're all autonomous, if you will. They're all capturing data at whatever rate they sort of choose to.
2: Yeah, was it the, like, average car has, like, over 30 microcontrollers in it now?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's how they deal with that on normal cars, right? They've just got a bunch of different microcontrollers, a bunch of different, like, of, like Arduinos, essentially, right? Like, all... Array in a system trying to deal with the asynchronous nature of that sensing system, and uh, and so what, so with polysync we thought like what would it be like to solve that problem in software instead on central computers, and that's the name that's where the name polysync was born, which we're we're synchronizing into a, a central or a single time domain uh, a bunch of different asynchronous systems. So poly meaning many and sync meaning sync. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. So um so I guess you have some kind of
1: hardware that everything talks to and then the software is taking care of
0: most of that, right? Actually, we don't really we deploy on almost anything. We're a software layer pretty fundamentally. So uh, okay, in the automotive space, you know, you've got you do have like many different computers to run on. You've got different microcontrollers, you've got ARM stuff, Intel, Nvidia, all these different chips running simultaneously. How do those things talk to talk to each other? That's where we come in. We're the software sort of. We're a middleware layer that lets all these things communicate with each other.
2: Yeah, actually, I was looking at the website earlier, and y'all bill yourself as middleware. Right. Um, that's called. That's the PolySync core. Right. Um, and so it's between applications, which I guess is like what's um, what you're doing with the software, and then the vehicle OS. So you're like you're in between that. Um, so you don't modify what's originally on like the. You the uh, vehicle EMC.
0: Yeah, you can't like actually just download Polysync and like put it on your car or something, right? It's not it's not really a consumer facing thing. The approach to using Polysync is really a sort of fundamental new architecture decision that you've got to make in building a car. So our customers okay. are like tier ones and OEMs. One of the big problems they run into there is that their typical par- development paradigm is embedded development. So they're used to building, you know, essentially fixed-function devices, right? So, and they'll, they'll either purchase those devices from their suppliers, you know, Tier 1 suppliers. These are like Bosch, uh, Delphi, you know, uh, Denso, these types of companies.
2: Standard equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. They'll purchase them, and they'll modify them. And in fact, essentially, they're building what amounts to, like, the, the most complex fixed-function device, right? A car is a fixed-function device. And the problem is that that really breaks down when you get to autonomous driving, right? This is a software-defined system. It needs to be constantly updated, to be changed. You know, Tesla's a great example of, of how important that is, right? Always shipping software updates to their cars. So the challenge, so, so the challenge of, uh, of embracing software is like a really fundamentally different process for automotive companies to, to move toward. We're one of the parts of, of making that transition. I, I would
1: think that would actually be a a difficult transition to make for most uh, most guys, m- mainly because y- you ha- okay. So you have this sensor suite. Uh, and And a hardware designer thinks of the sensors as just kind of an extension of their design, or even, I guess you could say like the fundamental piece in their design. And that goes off to some microcontroller that they have control over its, I guess, destiny in a way, the, the of what that sensor's doing. But by utilizing this, you're kind of taking that control. Uh, I guess there's a level of trust that they have to have in your software, right?
0: Absolutely. You know, and that's one of the biggest challenges of moving into automotive is, you know, whereas in other industries, you know, everyone wants kind of the newest, hottest stuff that they can get, newest, hottest software you know, newest version all the time. Automotive is the, the, the opposite for that exact reason that you just described. They want something that dependably works that they know that they can trust so they can work on their job of sort of system integration or testing or something like that. So relinquishing that control is a, is a real challenge. But once you do, the choice of, of functionality that you can deploy is just so much more rich and so much more valuable to the end user. You know, it's, it's the difference between, you know, the capability of, of a, you know, a Nokia flip phone and an iPhone. You know, yes, you, you, know, you as, a, as an app developer move away from, you know, sort of the knowing everything about your system context like a, an, a Nokia app developer might have. You know, and instead you move away to a, a world of abstractions and APIs. But what you get from that is uh, is is much more power to deploy on different devices, uh, in different environments, you know, with different sort of different types of sensors. And that's the kind of uh, paradigm that we're trying to bring to automotive: is the software-defined device.
2: Yeah, that's actually what I was going to bring up. Is it sounds more like, you know, instead of having to write a, a, everything custom for, let's say, a Ford Focus. You can deploy—Ford can deploy a car, basically, and then just change what it is as a car in software. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that's really attractive to all these companies. You know, today, today the, the product cycles for automotive, they're like five years right, from, you know, the napkin sketches to, to a car that you can buy. I mean, that's just insane. What, what that means is that, it, you know, is that the infotainment systems that you get, the, you know, the different, you know, the design elements and things like that, those are like five years old by the time you even get to, like, touch that screen. And so, you know, think about, think about the design changes that have happened in, like, iOS or Android in five years. I mean, they're, they're you know, you, you look at those five-year-old versions of those, of those UIs and you go, wow, that looks old. And I think that mm-hmm. we've all, we've all had that experience is like the stuff that we get into cars, even new stuff today, just looks and feels dated. And so the attractive thing about, about working in a software defined context is, is the ability to update that for your customers and bring them a fresh experience and fresh functionality throughout the life cycle of their product.
1: Awesome. That, uh, so Okay, so on your website, you, uh, on your, your products page, um, there, there's, there's two things that really show up. There's the PolySync Core and the OSCC. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we've kind of uh, scratched the surface on the PolySync Core. Can you tell us about the OSCC?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, that's the, the, the thing that we've collaborated with Macrofab to, to build. Um, OSCC stands for Open Source Car Control, and it's a really fun project. The story of it is that when in our early days, you know, when we were a, a poor little startup, you know, I, I should say less poor startup, or excuse <laughs> me, more more poor startup, more poor, right, <laughs> more right. poor, uh, We we needed a vehicle to test autonomous functionality on because until you can complete the loop of you know sensing back to control of the vehicle, you're not really autonomous. Like, as anyone who knows, cars have, has, has found, there's no control interface for cars. Cars don't have APIs. No. And, and so that makes it really, like, vexingly difficult to, to get control. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, so how do I turn the steering wheel with a, with a, with a computer? How, how do I make the car break? How do I, you know, make it, make it accelerate? Uh, Short of, uh, you know, having a text readout that says, like, you know, push the pedal down, dude. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> attaching external actuators, you know, or buying, you know, research grade equipment for like $150,000. It just really isn't a good way to do it. Right. So, what, yeah. So, so how does, you know, first of all, how does a startup get into that world economically? That was our challenge. And then second of all, like, how do you scale a fleet on things that cost $150,000? Like, you know, it's just the cost become prohibitive.
2: Yeah. this is the cost of the hardware.
0: Right, so we were like, okay, what what can we get that's just an inexpensive vehicle that's available worldwide that we think that we can hack and put an interface in, hmm. and uh, and Kia Soul like came out on top. It's just like really inexpensive car. They're super high quality. They're available in like basically the same form worldwide, and uh, and, and and also for a lot of companies, it's it's kind of a neutral brand, and that helps you know if they're going to do public demos and things like that. It's not a Ford. It's not a GM car. It's not a Toyota. It's you know. It's a Kia. That's the hamster car. That's the, the comment we get mo- most often.
2: Oh, yeah. That, that's actually what they use to advertise that car.
0: Right. Is this hilarious hamsters?
2: So, yeah. Um, so what what makes that car easy to hack then? So, or what, what do you say is – because, like, if you say, oh, a Kia Soul is easy to hack, you know – I, I, a person who just says that <laughs> right. that's a bad thing.
0: No, no, no. It's not easy to I mean, like anything, uh you know, it's you can compromise anything with physical access to it, right? So Of course. You know, so is
2: that so you all just tapping right into I guess that, the CAN bus?
0: So no. Like that no? That's, so there's there's two ways to do this out in the in the real world. So number one is to is to spoof a CAN system, and number two is to spoof an analog uh signal system. So okay. I'll just give you some background on this. So, 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 if you want to do it with a CAN system, you're going to need to find a car that's enabled with a full control interface. And most typically, that's like a self-parking interface. So, you know, vehicles that can like pull up to a parking spot, you like, and you press a button, and it can and it can park itself. That's typically a car that you can uh, you can do full control with can, over CAN.
2: Okay, that mm. makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. So what and what you do there is you basically you figure out the signals and you spoof it and you just tell it it's in self-parking mode all the time. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, right. So that's so it, it makes sense. But it's actually not particularly safe. Uh, <laughs> be, because you're because you're like, you're basically violating the safety case of self parking, right? You're, you're telling the car, you're going five miles under five miles an hour, and you're in reverse all the time, you know, so on the highway, like, you don't know what that, that's doing to the system. So that's one way, and that's how that's how like these self driving like Lincoln MKZs that you see around, or Ford Fusions, you know, there's various others that you see with a bi wire control interface. That's how they do it. Uh, yeah, that that's still, so,
1: that sounds very much like a hack.
0: It it is a hack, and ours is a hack too. I mean, there, look, there's no interface for cars. Like no one designed a way to do this well. So you know, they're all shades of hacks. Right. Uh, but you know, so so the OSCC approach is a little bit different. We go into the analog system. So the the in particular the Kia Soul has electronic power steering, meaning a, a brushless motor that drives the power steering instead of a hydraulic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has throttle by wire, which most cars nowadays have, now, nowadays have, which is you know there's no physical connection between the the gas pedal and the and the throttle body that controls the engine. Yep. So those two those two things are fairly easy to to uh, to spoof. So on, on the steering side, which is the most critical one. Uh, the steering control works as a, as a feedback loop on a torque sensor. So essentially, you put in some torque into the steering wheel, it senses that, and, it, and, the, and the motor tries to assist and minimize that torque. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so, yeah. wh- so what we do with OCC is we go in and we, uh, and we synthesize a torque signal, interrupt the ones from the actual sensors, and we synthesize a torque signal, and we send that out. So we're essentially making the motor assist a phantom hand, if you will.
2: So does the wheel? I, I guess actually the wheel does spin then.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's oh, that, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. So uh, and then we and then we feed back on uh, on steering angle. So essentially, the way our stuff works is is where the way OSC works is you send it a, a steering angle and uh, a target steering angle and a and a rate a, a, r- a rotation rate to achieve that, and the wheel just goes to it. Um, and so, so, how, with so our, how
2: do you get the steering angle back then? Uh, she said it's
0: closed loop. Yeah, so that comes, there's two ways to do it. With OSCC, it comes over the CAN bus because it's like a nice, smooth com- uh, condition signal. But you can actually okay. get it from the, the sensors as well. So the way that OSCC works in that, in that case is it's like basically an Arduino Uno board. And then we have a shield, which Macrofab makes for us, uh, that has a, a digital analog converter on board and a, an a, and a interrupt relay and a, and a CAN transceiver. And that lets us sort of make that its own little module. It's its own distributed ECU. So that's your steering ECU. Um, and then basically we do the same thing for, for, for throttle, right? The same thing is like there's two position sensors there. We just uh, we just get in there and synthesize those values as well.
1: So, so did, you, did you originally have to find these values empirically, or was there some kind of standard that you found for
0: those? I, well, it's a, it's a really interesting technique that not many people know nowadays, which is known as an oscilloscope. <laughs> <laughs> so so just watch what's going on uh did you know that mo- many people are afraid of analog things now <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sitting next to a guy who's afraid of them <laughs> hey i know how to use an oscilloscope <laughs> uh, so yeah so anyway that's how we found those values i mean they're just analog you know they're just essentially uh um uh, potentiometers so you just me- you just measure the uh, uh voltage change across them
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's actually funny. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm actually a bit surprised that even in today's day and age, that the the you know position sensor of a steering wheel is analog. I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just you know if there was some kind of digital whatever encoder, encoder. sensor that would that would detect the well, that's angle a, and send that off.
0: Yeah, that's a great point actually. So uh, in a lot of cars, there it is a, a higher level protocol like a CAN protocol or LIN, or there's there's a bunch of different different approaches. Uh, that's part of the reason, you know. So if you, if you had an Audi or something, or even a you know a nicer you know car, uh, they they would have that type of signal in there because they tend to just engineer a lot more complexity into those more expensive cars. Sure, the, the key just just for the sake of it, as re- just a really simple car. Go ahead.
2: Oh no, what I was saying is they 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 put in um, added complexity just for the sake of it.
0: N- not just for the sake of it right the the thing about the thing about apis is that is that they are, are, or or abstractions right is the, is they are they simplify implementation and and improve modularity typically at the expense of, of complexity Right. So you build an API and, and it actually does make your your system fundamentally more complex, but it does make it more modular and more reusable. Right. So for whatever their reasons, like that's a pretty broad systems engineering perspective on that. But uh, that's one good reason to make a higher level protocol there is, for instance, you could use it in different places. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Like what would be like a Merc OS
0: version one? Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, Mercedes. Oh, uh, y- y- I was yeah. thinking, I
2: was th- yeah, uh, trying to make fi- joke fail. I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did. It was over my head too. I was like, well, I don't get this." <laughs>
0: uh,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, okay. N-
0: next question. So, okay. So anyway, wait, let me let me, so let me finish on OSCC. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Go l- for l- it. The last one, which is which is uh, what I consider the real hack in this system, is is a uh, a break module. So the problem with, with like, this, these old, you know, like, basic ICE, uh, internal combustion cars is, like, they, they don't have any way to, to, there's no electronic actuation on the brakes. So there's a couple ways to do it. Number one, you can reverse, like, you can hack the ABS module. That's not really safe. They're, those things are actually, people don't know this, they're only rated for, like, 30 to 40 hours of continuous duty. really yeah totally so abs modules a lot of cost comes out of cars based on you know use use assumptions and you know think about how i mean your abs is is running for a second or less every time it's running typically so they don't need to run very long well technically you don't want your abs to run right well yeah but the when they do i mean it's not for not very long right
1: yeah
2: Yeah, right 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 oh that Uh, man that makes me like uh sidetrack story i guess is um we were driving a old suburban in colorado going down these some some switchbacks and i think we rode the abs for like 30 45 minutes straight oh
1: man oh god yeah (laughs) yeah five percent of its entire life right it's gone right there (laughs) i actually never even
2: thought about that is uh is you know how long can the abs pump basically work for
0: yeah, I think you'd be surprised to 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 find out how cost optimized cars generally are. I mean, they're like they're like a a nine percent uh, you know net margin business or less like cars are, and so every penny counts. I mean, you might you might be surprised what what these companies will do to save twenty five cents oh, on the buying cost of a car.
2: Oh, I know, I drive a mid nineties Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: save twenty five cents everywhere. Right. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, yeah, so okay, so where I was going with that is is the brakes are the last thing. So what we do is we actually we actually retrofit a um, a, a brake module, a brake by wire module from a Toyota Prius. 04 to 07 Priuses had like a um, a really cool brake module with like a a valve pack in it, a high pressure pump, and a high pressure accumulator. And so what it means is that uh, we can cu- we kind of go in the middle between your foot master cylinder and the abs module and we we essentially like we we it's essentially like a a, uh an electrically driven foot just creates hydraulic pressure and is able to spill that out to the rest of the car so that's so that's actually where most of the development effort went into is is reverse engineering this toyota brake module uh it's actually a denso module and then and then being able to control the valves and you know properly and and um and things like that
2: so the the Toyota just stopped using that module or did they go back to the old school way or is well, there a reason why you have to use like that special years?
0: Yeah. It's a particular, it's a peculiar unit because it's uh, w- what, what happened with Priuses and like every car is that they just got more and more integrated again to save money. So in the 04 to 07 year Prius, there was a hydraulic power pack that did the brake by wire uh, work. That's like, there's no smarts in it. It's just a pin out basically to a bunch of, uh, solenoid valves and a pump, and gotcha. and, a bu- and a bunch of pressure sensors. So the pressure sensors are all analog again, and then the and then the solenoids are all like just coil packs. So so we just p- we're able to PWM them at the appropriate. Um, I mean, it's kind of an inductive load, so you've got to have a special circuit for it. But uh, other than that, I mean, we PWM those things, and we're able to to control them. If we had gotten like a, a the next the next generation Prius, suddenly you've got like an ECU with an embedded microcontroller it's expecting a whole it's got firmware so it's expecting a whole bunch of can signals and suddenly you've got a much harder um, and and less deterministic system to work on yeah
2: you'd probably have to sit there and basically run a Prius and sniff that bus that's going into that module trying to figure out what it needs to you know do its job
0: yeah which you could totally do and and that might be a good way to do it too I mean there's there's more than one you know one way to do it here that's the way that we chose. Is just w- what we felt was like the simplest way for people to understand if they were going to work on it themselves.
2: Well, especially for a for a DIY kind of thing, is simpler is even better.
0: Yeah, yeah. So on on that on that track, I mean, we basically built this thing out of four different. It uses four Arduino's, <laughs> which we may <laughs> we may go away from in the future, like with a, a little bit more custom system. But for the first iteration, four separate Arduino modules. <laughs> so
2: now, so now your
0: car's got.
1: You know, thirty plus four microcontrollers.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. it. <laughs> so,
1: so okay. Actually, uh, funny. In in a, in a way that kind of shoehorns into the next question. Um, ha- can you tell us about any of uh, any issues you've had? Uh, in other words, have you had any failures? Have you had any microcontrollers just go wacko on you? Uh, any crashed cars?
0: Uh, so we're very careful with this system, you know, because it's experimental. Uh, there's you know, first of all, we never, we never run it without anybody in the driver's seat. And then we almost never run it on like public roads or anything. We just run it on closed courses. When we were engineering the system, it was just up on jack stands the whole time. It was like, we're not going to take a chance. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you know, the thing is uh, we, I I think one thing that strikes me generally about like, especially startups in autonomous driving is, uh, we like culturally, you know, people who have driven for a lot of years, you know, you, you just don't assign the same level of risk like you don't assign a real no, like level of risk in your brain to what you're doing when you're driving. And what I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean yeah,
2: you're right is because you drive down the freeway and look to your right and there's someone texting going 70 miles an hour.
0: Right. I mean, it's like you're sitting there, it's comfortable, it's quiet, air conditioned, cool, you listen to your tunes, you know, it's like, it's about as stimulating as watching is watching, you know, a really boring TV show. And we and that's the way and that's the way we treat it. (laughs) Yet, we're, we're, we're like carrying, I mean, massive amounts of kinetic energy with us that just can wreak havoc and destruction, you know, with the slightest of, of wrong moves. So, oh yeah, you know, so like, I mean, it's just like 3000 pound missiles driving down the road. You know, so we, we, we don't like, so we're really careful with that stuff. And we, and we do a lot of work to make sure that like our safety drivers are, you know, aware and cognizant and just like, we we try and treat it with a lot of respect and, and we hold each other accountable for it. So
1: yeah, if, if, if you want the fear of God put into you, uh, drive a motorcycle on any of the freeways in Houston, right. uh, and, and at 70, Seventy miles an hour on a motorcycle <laughs> is a different speed than seventy miles an hour in a car. It just
0: is. Yeah, it, you're so right. I mean, it, <laughs> you you, you want to feel small, ride a motorcycle, you know, during rush hour. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. it's frightening, but awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have kids now, so I no longer have motor. So I have a motorcycle. I need to sell it. You want to buy a motorcycle? <laughs>
1: <laughs> His actually doesn't work right now. I, I need to bring it over to Parker's. We got we got some carburetor cleaning to do here. Oh soon. God,
0: yeah. This, the other reason I'm selling it is because I can no longer deal with having four carburetors.
1: Oh, I've got two, and that's that's two too many. Well, because one doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, one one of them does not do anything right now. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah, so, okay, so mishaps. So, I mean, the biggest thing that's happened so far is... we, I mean, we basically fault the ECUs all the time in early development. We like if you send the wrong. They, there's all sorts of error checking that goes on in automotive systems, and so that, there's like the the torque sensors, for instance, on the steering are dual redundant. So they check, they one goes, you know, one goes up in voltage while the other one goes down. There's pre- specific calibrations to both of them, you know, and so if you if you give it the wrong voltage, it'll fault out. And it requires like a dealer level service tool to reset. So we end up having to buy in, buy one of those. And even then, like, we've had customers that have bought, you know, OSCC cars from us and stuff, and they, like, get in there and start messing with the firmware, and they, like, totally destroy, like, they, they, like, hard fault the system, and they, you know, they go through. (laughs) So how much is that, how much is a Kia uh, dealer tool cost? You can buy a Chinese knockoff version that that works, even though it, like, technically shouldn't, because it's not for these year of Kias. It, It works uh for like 200 bucks on ebay
2: okay so that's not
0: bad yeah yeah yeah, but but if you you want the full system it's like i think three and then a couple thousand a year in maintenance
2: yeah because that's because i've looked at for dealer tools for my jeep and it's like the knockoff is like 250 300 and then um there's a company that like rents them so i've done that before right but yeah it's it's just brutal on those on those specialty tools like that. Cause it's like I can only use it on this model Jeep.
0: Right, right. Well, and they're getting and they're getting smarter about protecting them. Like before you could do these knockoffs. Like I had I had one of those knockoffs for my Volvo, you know, and it worked it worked fine and it was like fully featured. But then you you know, then you get up in the modern cars and it's like They've got maintenance subscription contracts. and Oh, like, yeah, you they're, better
2: they're, not connect that to the internet.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> They send you, like, a Android tablet and stuff. So, yeah, they're getting better at it. Yeah,
2: uh, I think I remember my, my brother had, a, like, a BMW. And to reset the oil check light that would pop on, like, every, you know, 3,000 miles, you could trick the system by just grounding out a pin. Right. Or you could pay a dealer, like, you know, a couple hundred bucks to do that for you right right (laughs) i think that was obd1 maybe it was that weird like circular thing that that uh bmw had in their engine compartment
0: yeah yeah yeah. i think that was actually that that was a little known fact that was obd1 there's like a little led that would flash yeah 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 Yeah, that was that was obd1 so obd2 is, is is now the sort of protocol for uh, you know, if there is an open protocol for cars, it's it's OBD2, and that's that little dongle that you plug into the connector under a dash. But before yep. that, there was a funny little jumper that you would put in, and a little light would flash, and you'd be like, okay, t- that was two longs and a short. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to add my oxygen sensor, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great.
2: <laughs> so um, so you you talked about controlling just the physical aspects of the vehicle. What about, like, maneuvering? How does the how does your system currently like for the Kia, I guess, how does you get the outside data into controlling your vehicle then?
0: All right. So I'll caveat this by saying we don't do autonomous driving um, algorithms, if you will. Right. So a lot okay. of companies are out there building the brain of the autonomous car. These, you know, the A.I. and then, you know, the the object recognition, path planning, these types of things, you know, even control systems. Um, that's not really within like what we do as a business. We do the nervous system, right? So underlying stuff with the network that lets the information get where it's going and, and, and things like that. But having gotcha. said, that, said that, of course we, we need to, you know, we need to dog food our own stuff. And so we've done quite a, you know, some work internally on, you know, basic autonomy, demonstrators, waypoint following. And, and, you know um, actually I've just been, I spent the last few weeks teaching myself deep learning, which has been really interesting Um, Yeah, that's been the big thing recently. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fascinating field.
2: uh, uh, (laughs) Would you like me to tell you why? Yeah, actually, (laughs) Stephen's like, are you going to ask him why? Yeah, (laughs) He's like, in the motion, I'm like,
1: "Uh, I guess so, yeah. I feel like learning in a deep sense right now, so can you please tell me what deep learning is all about?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, I won't make audience members cringe here because, I, you know, I'm I'm a few weeks into um, to messing with the APIs, and I've I've got a textbook that I'm reading and trying to teach myself this stuff. Uh, effectively, deep deep learning is kind of a is kind of a trendy term for um, for sort of uh, bigger neural networks. So, uh, neural networks have 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 encountered sort of multiple. Rises and then and then declines in 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 you know fashionability over the years. Uh, recent you know improvements in you know the cost and, and performance of computing hardware have really have really given birth to like this sort of AI revolution that's going on right now. That's just colloquially colloquially termed as you know in a blanket as deep learning. And, and what that basically means is that whereas we used to have networks uh, neural networks where we had You know, a few layers, one or two different layers. Uh, Now we'll have networks with many, many layers, you know, five, six, ten, you know, uh, 20, 30, you know, many, many layers. And the deeper you go, you know, uh, the more uh, the the network is able to uh, sort of store higher level concepts. Um, and 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 create sort of what's what's known as uh, invariant representations of the of the world around it or or within or patterns within the data
2: or the the data sets. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm really relieved because I thought for the, my entire life I've been participating in shallow learning, and it's just it hasn't done well. So I'm I'm so glad I know about this now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon, you know, the computers will do it all for us, right? That's the promise. So
2: actually, Josh, what is that book that you're currently reading right now for that?
0: Uh, It is a textbook called Deep Learning. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Uh, Let me see if I can find it. It's by a guy named Goodfellow, and um, uh, I'm looking it up right now. Shoot. You said it's a textbook, right? Yeah, it's a textbook. It's not the place to start. Uh, yeah, by a guy named Ian Goodfellow, Yeshua uh, Bengio, and e- uh, Aaron Corville.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, just if you Google deep learning Goodfellow, yeah. it's like the first result.
0: Yeah, this is like the this is like the the, the hot new the hot new stuff in in uh, in deep learning. It's a great overview and it goes really deep. Uh, the way that I started out with this stuff is I just started to poke at the APIs. So first, I did I did some experiments with um, with TensorFlow. And now I'm on to kind of a higher level abstraction of that called um, Keras, K-E-R-A-S. Uh, that was a really good way for me to get some quick introduction to the practical things and and kind of look at what I didn't know. And and that's given me a really good framework for reading this book. But the, the dramatic thing, I mean, I'll tell you, like, the, you know, the seminal papers in deep learning were really, were or in, in neural networks were really written, you know, like in the eighties. So there's not, there's not a, a massive amount of like fundamental, uh, things going on, but what you're getting it now is just these really impressive applications and tweaks to these networks, uh, or to these, to these approaches that are, that are, uh, just fabulously, um, capable. So, uh, um, you know, one of, the, one of the ones that's really in vogue right now are called uh, a typical uh, type of recurrent neural network t- called LSTM, uh, long short-term memories. And these <laughs> things are able to, sh- to, to store sequences of data now in, uh, as well as spatial data. And, and they're incredibly good at like, there's some examples of where they'll actually, you know in, in, you know, in some limited data set, they actually go as far as they're able to go from, you know, nothing to actually having learned English. Uh, and then being able to recreate uh, correct grammatical sentences and phrases. I even saw uh, one example where uh, they trained it on the the like uh, like Linux codebase. <laughs> it was like wow. the Ubuntu codebase or something. And then they had yeah. and then they had it like regenerate or they had it like um, uh, they call it hallucinate. They had it come up with a bunch of um, examples of C code after that. And it's generally it's what it's very bad at is tracking like uh, variable allocation stuff anything that would be long term like I need to remember that I allocated this variable to something but semantically it's pretty much correct and stylistically it just looks like a and it reads like this gigantic C code base that it was trained on and Mm. like the crazy thing is you you imagine that this freaking network it didn't know anything it didn't know C code it didn't know English it didn't know symbols before it just started being trained on on this gigantic code base. It's just amazing.
1: Wow, that's that's really crazy. It's yeah. So
2: on uh so I I guess from the deep learning stuff I guess. So what what's the I guess from the hardware side it's kind of hard to grasp cuz I don't do a lot of programming is mm-hmm. like what is the impact of that kind of I guess enough hardware and and software behind it.
0: the uh, the impact to autonomous driving, or you know, your or life just, or, or what or just <laughs> overall.
1: It's just well, it's, I I would I would interject that right now. It, it seems like you could almost have this thing learn and characterize an entire system, and then learn from that. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, so, so, right, your, enge- your audience are engineers, so let me make this a really simple, like, way to understand. So, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> autonomous drive or, or uh, 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 neural networks, like, be they deep or shallow or, or whatever, are, are, just, uh, are just a form of mathematical function, right? So, so okay. the, right. The, the fundamental thing is, like, given X, what is Y, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, so the most basic form of that is, like, we love linear regression, Y equals MX plus B. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and so what a neural network is doing is whereas we as engineers have spent our lives trying to create models, we look at we look at systems and we create uh, and and we create mathematical equations that that uh,
2: best represent
0: the system. Exactly. Neural networks instead are able to learn that set of equations. Now they, they don't. They, oh, okay. they, they don't generally give you the set of equations coming out of it. You don't suddenly you know, you don't have a like a you know a set of you know a set of independent equations that you know that together when solved right. You, what Equals forty two. Yeah, exactly. What you have is is a network where where those dependencies and the, and the, and the model relations are all encapsulated within the relationships and the weights of a network. And so uh, all that a neural network is, is, is effectively a, a general purpose modeling tool that learns in, instead of being sort of, um, you know, generated by, by whatever we, you know, w- we project onto the system as structure. Because how, how many times is, have, you, have you tried to, like, make a model for a system, you built some crappy prototype, and, like, those things are completely different, way off, right? Oh, my God. Every time. <laughs> yeah, every time. Every time. And so, right. and so, imagine instead being able to go directly to the prototype and just characterize it, right? Like obviously, that's not practical in like most cases, but yeah. that's effectively what a neural network is doing.
1: Okay, I got you, got you, So, so a neural network isn't actually learning; it's still following a set of rules that you feed it.
0: No, not at all. I mean, I think it is actually learning. You know, in the, it, it, think of it in the linear regression case. So. Uh, if I were to start, you know, I have a, I have a set of data and I want to, and I want to, um, and I want to fit it right. I could, you know, sort of do the one shot, you know, statistical equation that we all learned in, in, um, you know, in, in school, or I could kind of start somewhere right mm-hmm. with an with, a with a hypothesis and mm-hmm. I could, uh, and I could, uh, and I could run an optimization, right. I could step toward or away from, uh, the data and see, and see if my fit was better or not. And eventually yeah. I would arrive at some minimum in that process, right? Uh, hopefully a global minimum that, that mm-hmm. meant that like my error was as low as it was going to get. And I fit, and I fit the data that is effectively learning, right? Like what, what else is learning than us, than us trying to predict the outcome of something and being wrong and, and then trying again and getting better at that.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So you, from what I gather, I guess then it's it's min-maxing the system.
0: Yeah, I mean it's trying. That... To, yeah, effectively, yeah. It, effectively, it's it, it, making a neural network learn is is an optimization problem. It's a it's a gigantic multivariate optimization problem. Yeah, and that's why that's why like GPUs are so are so good at it. Is like a, like basically it's just a massive matrix like multiplication and then a matrix add. Like it's just but with just gargantuan matrices, yeah. And do it, do it a couple trillion times, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. So, hopefully, I, hopefully, like your, your listeners aren't like, oh god, this guy's a total moron. I think I've got it right. No, this, I this, think, I, no, no, subject, no,
1: no, if no. anything, Parker and I are the morons here, yeah, yeah. That's like completely <laughs> me. It's like, I,
2: I that's actually why I, I asked for the book because I this is a subject I have no knowledge about. Yeah. I find it really because, like all I see is like the neural network like pictures that people post on Reddit. Right. It's like where it like posts cat pictures and like right. a painting or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the res it's it's like anything, right? It's the result of a whole bunch of, of of fundamentally simple little operations that when added together make something that's like super complex and crazy. But you know, like anything, right? The basics are pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, this is the MacFab Engineering Podcast where we go from talking about uh, automated cars to electronic learning electronic and the philosophy learning. behind what it means to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Speaking of
2: car, uh, self-driving cars, mm-hmm. um, so we'll go back onto that subject. <laughs> we kind of deviated a little um, bit. So how far do you think we're off from self-driving cars? Like, I know, like, Tesla's got some automated stuff that goes on freeways, but like to the fact where you said earlier where you can get a car that does not have a steering wheel.
0: Right. All right. So uh, that's a, a nuanced and big question. So let's let's qualify it a little bit. Um, hmm. There's two types of self-driving. Let's start there. One is one that we care about and one is one that we don't. Uh, The one that we don't really care about that doesn't really have much impact on humanity or anything, you know, like our daily lives is the Tesla style, at least the way it is now. Right. Which is uh, a feature that makes your car more desirable. Driving a straight line. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, you're going to see some accident reduction from that. But fundamentally, the like most impact is that is that someone's going to buy a certain car because they don't like driving on highways over another car. Right. Yeah, the, the 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 autonomous driving that we care about—that's like autonomous Ubers. It's autonomous exactly. autonomous yeah. truck driving. It's uh, you you know, it's sidewalk delivery robots. It's you know, whatever. Like the list goes on. You know, it's it's yeah,
2: uh, yeah, mm-hmm. th- yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Is where you can wake up in the morning and then the car shows up in front of your house and you just hop in it and it takes you to work. Right.
1: Yeah, so, have a cup of coffee and watch YouTube videos on the way to work.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Which, you know, that brings up a whole nother thing. Like, so now we now we have like however many more hours in a car, you know, and we're going to spend more time on Facebook. Great. Yeah, <laughs> That's
2: all. This is the whole thing is just getting to more social media. So does Facebook right. actually have a self-driving vehicle program?
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe. It'd be <laughs> in their best interest. Yeah, it'd be yeah. in their best interest. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, how long will it be, though, is your question? I mean, I think, I think it's going to be just a few years, and you're going to start seeing these systems in, uh, in limited fleet trials in, in geographically, like in fenced areas. So, in fact, uh, Waymo just like, published a thing where they're looking for riders, and they're starting to do that, I think, in Arizona. So, I mean, it's not too long before, you know, for people in the, in the tight urban centers, you start to be able to get these things on, you know, the right trips, right? The, the thing for yep. robots is that the more that you can limit the operational scope, uh, the, the better um, they are, the better it is. So so mm-hmm. you're going to start out, you know, highway driving, um, you know, trucks and uh, and inner city, uh, you know, Ubers. Yeah. And and all of them are going to be using polysync core,
1: right? <laughs> uh, some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Be like Arduino
2: take the wheel, right? Oh, wow. That's there's some trust there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think that'll be the code word, right? Uh, what Was it Arduino take the wheel? Oh, oh God! <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I will caveat that you know, especially with the Arduino system, you know, you uh, you real—it's not engineered to be safe with without a driver, right? It's not like let this thing go without a, someone in the driver's seat. It is—it is meant to be, you know, safe on closed-course environments where you have a safety driver. There's a couple of ways a safety driver can disable that thing, but just you know, for, for your for your listeners, uh, you know, it's really important to qualify that we have an operational envelope that we, uh, you know. You operate in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So so I actually, that's another thing I bring up is because right now we have vehicles that have sensors to let them know when there's cars in the blind spot, Mm -hmm. um, sensors that will stop the car if someone jumps out in front of the street or, you know, the person's not paying attention and there's a car stopping in front of them. This is more of a like a, a opinion, I guess, is do you think that makes people worse drivers? (laughs)
0: I mean, that's kind of like asking, you know, does wearing a helmet make you like a a more risky bike rider? Exactly. It's 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 same thing with a seatbelt. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, you know, potentially, yes, but still I wear my helmet and my seatbelt. exactly yeah uh, it's up to everybody to sort of modulate their their own risk uh and and you know the safety things that we put i mean that's always the trade-off for safety is that like you know if you add a safety device then people will become uh more more reckless more tolerant yeah uh, yeah you know potentially the the numbers are telling us though that uh we're seeing double digit declines in you know insurance calls it um severity uh and frequency i think is what they call it so severity and frequency of um of accidents in where where there's like those type of protective sensors so they're seeing like more than 10 percent declines year on year of like frontal collisions due to uh adaptive cruise control or auto emergency braking i mean that's pretty significant
2: yeah it's actually like people say you know texting might be the worst thing ever but the worst cause for like I think it's one of the major causes for accidents is still not using your indicators on your vehicle. That's still
1: number one. Nobody in Houston. I mean, has I, I think I, I actually I don't I can't quote
0: this off the top of my head, but I think like the largest you know cause of fatalities is just people not wearing their seatbelt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that like you know I you know I wish that before we did all this autonomous driving things you know we could we could solve the stupid problems, but apparently. Apparently, you know, that's a that's that's a harder one than making a computer drive a car. It's making people wear <laughs> their seatbelts. Yeah, wear their seatbelts, so, yeah.
1: So so actually, you know, I haven't thought about this much and we, we probably don't have the answer to it, but what happens to the auto insurance industry once cars go to automated driving? Like does that just kind of dissolve in some way? I don't like I don't know. I mean, I would think it would have to still exist in some way.
0: I think that's a great question, and I think that also the auto insurance companies are starting to realize that's a really scary and great question. Yeah, uh,
1: they might be going the way of Blockbuster uh, since Netflix is coming around.
2: Well, the no, corner. Well, <laughs> it depends on what you do for other vehicles too. Because, like my Jeep, there's no way you can slap a policy device in it because everything is connected to something else mechanically. There's
1: well, no I, I, I mean, of course, it would be a. It's not going to be a, sh- a steep cutoff. Uh, where cars go from, you know, not automated to fully automated, it's going to be some kind of curve that goes down. But, but still, like, it's going to change the face of insurance. And
0: well, there's everything. a lot of there's a lot of perspectives on this. Mm. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you know these devices do lead to lower lower risk while driving, and so you know on that hand, your 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 insurance rates should go down. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, you know they're going to lead to autonomous taxis, which are going to mean that less people drive cars which means the costs are you know, not spread out among so many drivers. And so, and so then you know, maybe, you're, maybe the rates go up. Uh, and, and
2: that's the thing, too, is that like if the computer is making the decision and the computer gets in an accident, right. is it the fault of the driver or dr- occupants at that point? <laughs> No, that, they're not even the. It's the manufacturer they pay for the.
0: Well, that's the, a really oh vexing. Boy. That's a really vexing one. I mean, Volvo came out, you know, last year saying we're going to be held. We're going to be liable for any uh, accidents in our autonomous driving cars, and I, I think that's the way it's going to go, and hmm. uh, and so and I think that's I think that's the right the right way actually. You know, it's going to mean that that we put the appropriate level of rigor into these systems.
1: Wow, that's that's a lot of uh, responsibility on the manufacturer's side.
0: You know that's that's absolutely true, and I think, but I think it's the, it's 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 appropriate, right? I mean, they're they're building systems that that dis, that can make decisions that have life or death death consequences about uh, for us. You know, the same way that if there was a a, a malfunction due to like let, let's say negligence in an airplane, you would expect the air you know the aircraft manufacturer to be held liable for that.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we don't we don't have to play, pay our own personal flight insurance to ride in an airplane. I mean technically you sort of do. Right. But uh, but it's
0: not direct. Well like any service, there's a lot of things that are rolled up in the cost of it, you know. Right. Yeah. Right,
1: right. But but our auto insurance is not rolled up in the cost of driving in a car. That's but separate. It,
0: but it is rolled up in the cost of taking a, a, you know, an Uber or a Lyft, right? I mean the the, the yeah. fee that you pay covers, you know, their their insurance as well as the driver's insurance. Yeah. So you know, this this stuff comes out. I mean, I don't think that, uh, you know, in most cases, it's it's insurance that prevents the rollout of technologies. Uh, it can it can help to accelerate, uh, mm-hmm. and it certainly it certainly can have fi- you know great financial impacts to those with vested interests. But, um, I you know, I'm pretty confident that as well as the regulatory environment will kind of sort themselves out.
1: Well, awesome yeah I, this podcast went all over the map. yeah this, this was everywhere, every direction <laughs> the, the the automated car of this podcast is just driving in every direction <laughs> <laughs> Well uh, do, do you have anything else uh, you'd like you'd like to add?
0: Uh, no, I mean I think we you know we covered uh, a variety of topics here, any one of them we could go uh, really deep on so I've, you know it's been, been a fun time. I've enjoyed it. Oh well, great. Awesome. well
1: we appreciate you coming on. Uh, would you like to uh, sign us out? Oh wait,
2: hold on. We got to do the well, – what? Uh, um, so our listeners can check out PolySync by going to the URL. Ah, oh, good point, yes. PolySync.io. Follow them on Twitter, at PolySync. And they have a GitHub, which I think they have their open source uh, car control module thing. And you, I think you just search PolySync Technologies on GitHub and you'll find it. Um, we'll put all the links in the podcast description, of course. Right. Uh, we need a code word. Oh, we did have one, except I forgot it already.
1: Let's uh, 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 let's come up with a code no. Word it was uh, Arduino take the wheel. Did, oh, was that our code word? Yeah, okay. it's our code word. Arduino That's take true. the wheel is the code word for this uh, this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 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 All right, Jessica, you want to sign us up? Uh,
0: okay, but before we do, shameless plug here. Uh, we're always looking for uh, for talented engineers, you know, interested in the space uh, or or adjacent spaces, and especially right now around safety critical uh systems you know uh, and some of the you know some of the more esoteric technologies out there uh like um well uh, that's where i'll stop so if you're interested you know please please reach out to us uh info at polysync.io i read every one of those and we'd love to hear from you
2: do they get bonus points if they drive a kia soul
0: absolutely <laughs> I mean, and is it um y'all are in Portland, right? Yeah, we're in Portland. Beautiful place to live, but uh but you know we work with people all over all over the world. So awesome. Yeah. Great. All right, are you ready? Yeah, go yeah, for, for we're it. Ready. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, and I was your guest, Josh Harton. And we were your host, Stephen Craig and
1: Parker Dillman. Take it easy, guys. Later.